The place is the Marin County Courthouse. The date is August 7, 1970. Five years ago, last Thursday. Five years ago. On August 7, 1970, Jonathan Jackson, who had just turned 17, the younger brother of black revolutionary prison leader George Jackson, entered the Marin County Courthouse with a satchel of handguns, an assault rifle, and a shotgun hidden under his raincoat. The immediate object was to free three black prisoners in the courtroom, William Christmas, James McLean, and Rochelle McGee. Prison guards opened fire on a van containing the rebels and their hostages. Jonathan Jackson, James McLean, William Christmas, and Judge Harold Haley were killed. About his younger brother, George Jackson wrote, I want people to wonder at what forces created him. Black man-child, courage in one hand, the machine gun in the other. I want people to wonder at what forces created him. Jonathan. He walked into a courtroom in Marin. He said, All right, gentlemen, I'm taking over now. Jonathan Jackson. What forces created him? What was it like when you were a child? What was it like, Jonathan? When you were a child, did you laugh, did you play, did you shout happy songs on the run? Now that you're seventeen, Jonathan, what do you think should be done? When you were a child, did you laugh, did you play? What was it like on that red August day? What was it like as you rose with your gun? What was it like as you walked out in the sun? What was it like when the shooting was done? Death has not won, Jonathan. How did it all begin? In Africa. How did it all begin? In slavery. That was how it came to be. What strong and beautiful mother of your mother of her mother of her mother of her mother of her mother way back in history was raped by white men, bound, transported, sold into slavery. What strong and beautiful father of your father of his father of his father of his father way back in history was whipped by white men, bound, transported, sold into slavery. They came with guns, bullets, packed with inhumanity, grasped by greed, triggered by terror, pulled by property. White hands held the guns, mouths spewed forth what they called Christianity. How did it all begin? In Africa, traditions and tribes, land, ceremonies of life, drums against the night. How did it all begin? In Africa. How did it all begin? In slavery. That was how it came to be. Jonathan Jackson grew to young manhood during a time of great change for black people in the United States. The civil rights movement, black rebellions in Watts, Newark, Detroit, and many other cities, the Black Panther Party. His was a new generation coming up as Africa began to make great strides toward independence. Jonathan Jackson grew to young manhood with examples of many courageous figures in the black past, of Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth, with the example of his brother, George, imprisoned since Jonathan was a child. Jonathan grew accompanied by the voices of black pride, protest, and resistance, of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. We don't see any American dream. 
we've experienced only the American nightmare. We haven't benefited from America's democracy. We've only suffered from America's hypocrisy. And the generation that's coming up now can see it and are not afraid to say it. If, if you go to jail, so what? If you're black, you were born in jail. If you black, you were born in jail. Jonathan Jackson wrote many letters to his brother in prison, filled with political analysis and revolutionary spirit. In one of them, Jonathan wrote, People have said that I am obsessed with my brother's case and the movement in general. A person that was close to me once said that my life was too wrapped up in my brother's case and that I wasn't cheerful enough for her. It's true, I don't laugh very much anymore. I have but one question to ask all of you people and people that think like you. What would you do if it was your brother? If George Jackson were your brother, what would you have done? Jonathan Jackson grew to young manhood at a time when resistance to racism was reaching a high point, when around the world the U.S. empire was in decline and had been characterized by Mao Zedong as a paper tiger. In another one of his letters, Jonathan wrote, We are quite obviously faced with the need to organize some small defenses to the more flagrant abuses of the system now. I mean this in a military sense. The period of disorganized activity of riots and rallies and purely political agitation education has come to a close. The violence of the opposition has brought it to an end. We cannot raise consciousness another millimeter without a new set of tactics. Long-range political ploys alone are not practical for us. To me, the concept seems to assume that someday in the distant future we'll produce a 700-pound flea to fight the paper tiger. That's not too likely to happen. While we await the precise moment when all of capitalism's victims will indignantly rise to destroy the system, we are being devoured in family lots at the whim of this thing. There will be no super slaves. Some of us are going to have to take our courage in hand and build a hard revolutionary cadre of selected retaliatory violence. We have numbers on our side if the whites who support revolutionary change can prevent this thing from degenerating into a race war. The picture of the U.S. as a paper tiger is quite accurate, but there's a great deal of work to be done on its destruction, and I'm of the opinion that if there's a big job of growing to do, the sooner begun, the sooner done. In another letter to George, Jonathan spoke of Vietnam. This Vietnam adventure on the part of the fascist has vastly changed the whole relationship between the masses and the ruling class. Can you detect the changes? The really ugly side of imperialism is being demonstrated for not just the people who suffer its effects abroad, but also for the little sleepy guy here inside the U.S. People are starting now to make the link between foreign wars and foreign businesses, and they're better able to make the comparisons and conclusions. Ho Chi Minh as compared to Qi, for example. People are starting to say such things as, some form of socialism is the answer. Time to move. We must show them that resistance is possible and that there is a hard left cadre willing to lead it. Conditions are right now for the beginning, at least, of a revolutionary culture. 
a show of organizational skill and valid anti-establishmentism will always bring on violence from the fascist. The people know this, so they must also know that this violence can be countered before they'll believe and respond. Let the ruling class tremble at a communist revolution. That's my favorite line from Marx and Engels. From Fanon, it's, The time for talking has ended. The time for acting has begun. Long live the guerrilla. By the time Jonathan was 16, the U.S. government attacks on the Black Panther Party had resulted in the murder of Fred Hampton and Mark Clark in Chicago, in the assault on the Los Angeles headquarters of the Panthers, and many others. Jonathan believed that resistance had to make itself known, and that the conditions in the United States justified revolutionary action. About unemployment, he wrote, The issue of employment is still the same. We do 30 to 40 percent of the nation's work for 1 percent of the returns, and a huge pool of us is always kept unemployed to reduce the value of the labor of those who are employed, just like 10 years ago, just like 1864 and 65 when we were thrown on the labor market, hungry, ragged, crowded into clapboards, and unhappy. In addition to racism and unemployment, for Jonathan, there was the overwhelming consciousness of the oppression of the prison system, of the reality of black life in the United States, the arrests and beatings by police, living in the city. In a prison interview after the rebellion at the Marin County Courthouse, George Jackson said that he too believed conditions were ripe for revolution, especially in the black colony, and urged that his brother's example should not be buried. It's my impression that the <coughs> conditions in the black colony, especially the black colony in this country, are ripe, are ripe, right now, for a revolution. When we speak of conditions, of course, we're, we're talking about, you know, are people hungry? Are people ill-fed, ill-cooled? Yeah, of course, yeah. I'm, cons I'm, I'm convinced that the conditions are right just now. I'm convinced that uh, in the black colony, you know, I, I think the black, the black colony is the most revolutionary stratum of the lower class. I think they're ready for revolution right now. We just need some people in the front, get in front of them and pull. People like Jonathan. I definitely don't think his example should be buried. Jonathan uh, was a student of... Uh, He's a military-minded uh, brother. He's a student of, uh, of uh, Shea Guevara. And uh, Hope, Jacques, Mao. He paid very close attention to uh, yeah, the activities of the other established guerrillas and other established uh, revolutionary societies or revolutionary cultures around the world. He's very conscious of um, what was going on or what is going on in South America. The attack on the courthouse in Marin County on August 7, 1970, did not succeed. Prison guards proved that they would stop an escape by any means, even if it meant murder, not only of the prisoners, but also of the judge. Jonathan Jackson's shout, Free the Soledad brothers by 12.30, did not come to pass. Although two Soledad brothers were acquitted in court, the third Soledad brother was George Jackson. He was murdered in prison. George Jackson compared the Marin Rebellion to the Moncada attack during the Cuban Revolution, 
which also failed, but was an inspiration for the guerrilla struggle that was to follow. George Jackson described the Marin battle as an attempt to liberate prisoners, expose prison conditions, and destroy the prestige of the unjust court system. I think the whole thing was intended to destroy the prestige of uh, Jonathan. My brother, I'm certain of him, he understood those things. He understands that the established governments work on prestige, and as long as the government can uh, prevent attacks upon itself with prestige and prestige alone, that uh, we, can't, uh, we can't work revolution. Uh, we can't have revolution. We can't build revolutionary culture. Uh, prestige has to be torn down, and that's, that's what I think uh, that whole story, that whole incident, that whole battle was about. Of course, first of all, they intended to get away, but uh, in the process of uh, liberating themselves, I'm certain that uh, positive that they were making a conscience, uh, a conscious uh, effort to uh, destroy the prestige of this last uh, sanctuary that the, uh, the staff was using to uh, stall off revolutionary culture. The pig's intentions were, you know, to stop the, stop the liberation move, that liberation, that move towards liberation for those uh, three convicts, those three brothers, those three uh, rulers. <coughs> conditions in the black county, especially the black county in this country, are right, are right, right now for a revolution. When we speak of conditions, of course, we're, we're talking about, you know, are people hungry? Are people ill-fed, ill-clothed? And of course, uh, I'm, cons I'm, I'm convinced that conditions are right just now. I'm convinced that uh, in the black county, you know, I, I think the black, the black county is the most revolutionary stratum of the lower class. I think they're ready for revolution right now. We just need some people in the front, get in front of them and pull. People like John. I definitely don't think his example should be buried. At the funeral for Jonathan Jackson and William Christmas, held in Oakland, Huey Newton, who had been released from prison a week before the Marin Rebellion, made this tribute to those who had taken part. Without freedom, life is meaningless. We have nothing to lose but our shackles and freedom to gain. We have given today not only to give respect to Comrade Jonathan Jackson and Willie Mae Christmas, but also to pledge our lives to the accomplishment of the goals exemplified in the actions of Brother Jonathan Jackson and William Mae Christmas. Oppressed people in general, and black people in particular, has suffered too long and must draw the line somewhere. There's a big difference between 30 million unarmed black people and 30 million black people armed to the teeth. We're not alone. We have allies everywhere. We find our comrades wherever in the world we hear the lash of the oppressor's whip. People all over the world are rising up and the high tide of revolution is about to sweep the shores of America. Our comrades Jonathan Jackson and William A. Christmas have taught us all the revolutionary lessons that have intensified the struggle and placed it on a higher level. We would like to express our respect for Brother McLean and Brother Rochelle McGee, who was wounded but not killed. We're here today to issue a mandate to this corrupt government that they better start following the Geneva Agreement, 
when dealing with prisoners of war. That is, first recognize that every prisoner of war has a right to attempt to escape. Secondly, that prisoners of wars are not to be abused and are not to be murdered inside of prison or outside of prison. That their rights are to be respected by international law. Somehow this country seems to feel that when, black, when, it, when it is concerning black people, they don't have to follow any law other than slave to slave master. We refuse to suffer any longer. We refuse to gradually be killed through humiliation, degradation, and the gradually stripping away of our humanity. When they struck the blow against Brother Christmas and Brother Jackson, they struck a blow against the best that humanity has produced. For this, they must pay the price. These brothers didn't have murder on their minds. They had freedom. Only the fascist murderers who have no human compassion, uh, compassion or any respect for life whatsoever, not even their comrades, are the cause of this. They would rather apprehend and murder a revolutionary than to slave the life of people. So they reveal themselves to the people of the world for what they really are. So now it is up to the community, not only the community, it's up to the people of the world to step forward, be counted, and take the appropriate action. We have been enslaved for too many years. The chains must be removed. We must be free, so help us God. Both Angela Davis and Rochelle McGee were charged in connection with the Marin attack. Angela was acquitted. The sole surviving prisoner in the attack, Rochelle McGee, has been railroaded through court case after court case in the five years since the Marin Rebellion, just as he has through all of his life. It was Rochelle who called the action a slave rebellion, who fought and still fights for the right to defend himself, and who argues on the basis of human rights that to rebel against slavery is justified. Rochelle McGee. Slavery is something that is being practiced by the system under the color of law, even though it is without legal power or authority. It's being done in a trick bag. Slavery 400 years ago, slavery today. It's the same, but with a new name. They're making millions and millions of dollars off of enslaving blacks, poor whites, and others daily. It is time to organize and put down this system. And another reality fact is that there's no way out of countering violence without violence. There's no, it's, 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 it's no other way. 
it's revolutionary violence against fascism violence. And it's just, it's just going to have to be that way. Five years have passed since the deed was done, years of trials and tribulations and victories, years of getting together to make what was done a signal for things to come. So when we think of Jonathan Jackson, James McLean, William Christmas Slane, another long night in San Quentin for the San Quentin Six and Rochelle McGee, of all that's happened and still is happening, of leaders and rebellions through the years and on the city streets today, of lynchings, beatings, racist inhumanities, broken promises, rip-off of creativities, when we hear Lady Day, hear Coltrane play, or listen to the music of the peoples of the world, or see the smile of Madame Bin, we also see the courtroom in Marin, the fight for liberty. You've been listening to Nothing Is More Precious Than. Thanks tonight to Kathy Stream and Mark Schwartz. Special thanks to Tarabu for help with the section on the August 7th Marin Rebellion. If you have any comments on tonight's show, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 848-6767. Once again, that's 848-6767. With Lincoln Bergman, this is Claude Marks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>